Hello, and welcome to Notes on the Week Ahead, a JP Morgan Asset Management podcast that gives you insights on the markets and economy to help you stay informed for the week ahead. Hello, this is David Kelly. I'm Chief Strategist here at JP Morgan Funds. Today is February 7th, 2022. So far this year, the 10-year Treasury yield has risen from 1.52% to 1.93%. This increase has been accompanied by broadly lower equity markets with value outperforming growth and international stocks outpacing their US counterparts. However, investors could be forgiven for being just a little skeptical about this move higher in rates and associated rotation to less expensive equity sectors. Long-term interest rates have been in a downward trend for more than 40 years. Fundamental economic conditions do favour further increases in long-term interest rates, and the Federal Reserve is sounding more hawkish than in many years. Still, investors need to consider two critical questions, namely whether economic conditions will continue to support higher rates, and whether the Federal Reserve has the fortitude to engineer them, given inevitable economic and market shocks and potential political blowback. On the first issue, last week's economic data pointed to continued steady growth with inflation still tracking well above the Fed's 2% target. Crucially, provided another dangerous variant doesn't take over, the impact of the pandemic appears to be fading. The number of confirmed cases has fallen from a daily average of 807,000 in the second week of January to just 296,000 in the latest week, while the ratio of fatalities to cases lagged 18 days is running at roughly 25% of the rate in prior pandemic surges. Moreover, despite the Omicron surge, PMI data show that both the manufacturing and service sectors grew in January, although at a slower pace than in December. In addition, light vehicle sales jumped from an annualized 12.5 million units in December to a seven-month high of 15 million units in January. Heavy truck sales were equally impressive, rising from an annualized 464,000 units in December to 525,000 units in January. The auto industry continues to operate under extreme supply constraints and with very low inventories. However, it is gradually managing to ramp up production and sales, a trend that is likely to continue all year. Leisure, travel, entertainment and restaurants were badly impacted by Omicron in January. However, high-frequency data shows some improvement in air travel, hotel occupancy and restaurant reservations going into February. Given all this, we expect to see little change in real GDP in the first quarter, but a roughly 5% bounce in the second quarter, and continued steady, although slowing, growth for the rest of the year. Importantly, the economic impact of the Omicron surge does not appear to have been severe enough or to have lasted long enough to change the narrative of an excess demand for labour. Last Friday's January jobs report was full of distortions, including major changes to seasonal factors in the establishment survey, significant changes in population numbers in the household survey, and the impact of the Omicron surge during the survey week. However, revised payroll figures show steady, strong job gains of between 400,000 and 700,000 each month since last May. In addition, other data show a huge 4.4 million gap between the number of job openings at the end of December, 10.9 million, and the number of unemployed workers in the second week of January, 6.5 million. Surveys also show that both businesses and workers are very aware of the labour shortage. The National Federation of Independent Business Monthly Jobs Survey showed a near-record 47% of businesses having at least one position they couldn't fill, and a 48-year record high of 50% of businesses reporting that they had increased compensation. The January Conference Board Consumer Survey showed 55% of respondents claiming jobs were plentiful in their local area, compared to just 11% who said they were hard to get. Nor is the labour shortage likely to wind down any time soon. In the January jobs report, 1.8 million people reported that they were not in the labour force due to the pandemic, 
up from an average of 1.2 million in the prior three months. However, this is far below the 4.7 million of a year earlier. And the return of these workers to the labour force as the pandemic winds down can only partially satisfy the current strong demand for labour. The worker shortage continues to put upward pressure on wages, with the average hourly earnings of production and non-supervisory workers logging a 6.9% year-over-year increase in January, the strongest gain, excluding distortions at the start of the pandemic, since 1982. With quits still running at elevated levels, wage growth is likely to remain strong throughout 2022 and into 2023. Stronger wage growth will also tend to support general inflation. We expect this Thursday's January CPI report to show a gain of four-tenths of percent overall and three-tenths excluding food and energy. While on a month-to-month basis this would be milder than in December, measured year over year, it would push headline inflation to 7.2% and core inflation to 5.8%, both at their fastest pace since 1982. Year-over-year inflation numbers should ease somewhat over the summer as supply issues diminish and a lack of federal government aid constrains consumer spending. However, still elevated wage growth, along with strong gains in owner's equivalent rent and higher inflation expectations overall, may prevent core consumption deflation inflation from falling below 3% throughout 2022 or 2023. A long period of steady growth with moderately elevated inflation is a path most likely to produce a sustained increase in long-term interest rates. The Federal Reserve has sent strong signals that it intends to raise the federal funds rate from its current 0-25 to basis points level starting in March, and that will begin to reduce its massive $8.9 trillion balance sheet starting this summer. It's worth noting that before the pandemic, FOMC members thought that the appropriate long-term level of the federal funds rate was 2.5%. Consequently, quarterly hikes of 25 basis points could allow the Federal Reserve to attain that level in just over two years. However, the Fed's balance sheet just before the pandemic started amounted to $4.2 trillion. The last round of quantitative tightening, initiated in 2017, maxed out at a balance sheet reduction of $50 billion per month. Even at twice this pace, it would take four years to get back to a pre-pandemic balance sheet. So how rapidly is the Fed likely to move? The best policy would likely be to raise the federal funds rate steadily by 25 basis points each quarter for the next two years and reduce the balance sheet more aggressively starting in July, ramping up to perhaps $150 billion in monthly balance sheet reduction, including some outright sales of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, as opposed to just a passive runoff, which would tend to reduce the balance sheet too slowly. This policy would have the best chance of maintaining an upwardly sloping yield curve and allowing for a gradual return to positive real rates across all Treasury maturities. This would gradually reduce excess demand in the economy and, importantly, reduce incentives for financial speculation. However, Fed messaging on this issue is frankly worrying. At his press conference following the January 26th FOMC meeting, Chairman Powell emphasised that the federal funds rate, rather than the balance sheet, is the Fed's primary means of adjusting monetary policy. If the Fed's more aggressive and unpredictable in raising the federal funds rate, it runs the risk of destabilising financial markets, and this could make it more reluctant to engage in aggressive balance sheet reduction. This in turn could lead to a flatter yield curve and concerns the economy could slow down too much in 2023. It's easy to see how this could short-circuit monetary normalisation. Even with core inflation running above the Fed's 2% target, it is doubtful that the Fed would have the fortitude to continue to battle inflation in the face of public or political pressure to ease policy. And this remains the key impediment in any scenario leading to much higher long-term interest rates. In 1979, Jimmy Carter appointed Paul Volcker to be Fed chairman, knowing full well that he would battle inflation even if it caused a recession. 
The Fed slammed the brakes on the money supply, pushing the prime rate to 21%, triggered a recession, and contributed to President Carter being voted out of office in 1980. However, even when the economy had recovered from the recession, the Fed tightened again, triggering a second and worse recession. And with all of that, President Reagan reappointed Volcker in 1983. The determination of the Fed to crush inflation at the end of the 1970s and the acquiescence of two presidents in letting it do so speaks both to the respect that Washington had for Fed independence at that time and the public's fear of inflation. 2022 is a very different time in both respects, and while this Fed may be turning more hawkish, it's unlikely to prove anything like as aggressive as it was 40 years ago. If the economy maintains steady economic growth and moderately elevated inflation, and if the Federal Reserve has the patience to gradually move short-term interest rates higher while reducing its balance sheet more aggressively, then the next two years could see the federal funds rate move up by 2%, with the 10-year Treasury yield rising by between 1% and 2%, finally returning to positive, real, long-term interest rates. However, for investors, it's important to recognize that if, because of Fed impatience, rates rise more rapidly over the next year, there is a considerable risk of a subsequent relapse as the Fed abandons its newfound and still shaky inflation-fighting resolve. While this still suggests a tilt towards value in international stocks in the short run, it highlights the importance of being ready to switch back towards longer-duration assets if the Fed abandons its recently hawkish tilt. Well, that's it for this week. Please tune in again next week. If you have any questions in the meantime, please reach out to your J.P. Morgan representative. This content is intended for information only based on assumptions and current market conditions and are subject to change. No warranty of accuracy is given. This content does not contain sufficient information to support investment decisions. It is not to be construed as research, legal, regulatory, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Investments involve risks. Investors should seek professional advice or make an independent evaluation before investing. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate, including loss of capital. Past performance and yield are not indicative of current or future results. Forecasts and estimates may or may not come to pass. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide.